Alright, in Acts chapter 4, we are told that uh, the community of believers held all things in common. And what was beginning to happen was, among them, they realized that some among them were poor and some of them were in need. And so, if they had extra lands or property or money, they would share that. And they uh, systematically uh, participated in that, in the giving and the uh, sharing. And they understood that there's a principle that God gives to us unevenly, both in, in our gifting and in our resources. And it's our responsibility to distribute that to the community as God is directed in the Scriptures. Now there's two, two approaches to this. One are the commandments that are specifically about us as individuals feeding those who... Uh, we come in contact with or helping someone that we've come in contact with or leaving the corner of the field open for the poor. There, there was personal individual responsibility. The other one was uh, a way to do it communally, uh, in the community, uh, working together in that context. And Paul talks about that in a number of ways. Uh, for example, in First Timothy chapter 5, he talks about the care of the widows done by the family members, but if the family members are not available or not there, then uh, the community takes care of them. So one organized at the congregational level and the other uh, responsible at the individual level. So uh, Paul had, in Romans chapter 15, as we saw last week, he had uh, begun to form these congregations in the diaspora, and they would have been uh, instructed to care for the poor in general, as the scriptures taught. But beyond this, they began to care for the Jerusalem poor and the oppressed because of the faith in a systematic concern and a way of meeting what Paul talks about as an obligation of the Gentiles towards the Jews. Uh, we had benefited in the Jewish blessing, and therefore it was... Um, uh, incumbent upon us to help uh, the Jews who were suffering because of their faith in Yeshua. Many of them removed from their synagogues, maybe even from their families, from their jobs. And so, as they were taking care of their own poor, now the Gentile dominant churches were beginning to uh, also uh, help in that context. So then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that we looked at uh, as part of last week's uh, message where Paul says, I want you on the first day of the week to set aside uh, as God has prospered. Uh, that verse is used often in churches to talk about giving on Sunday. It is not talking about that. Uh, they were worshiping on the Sabbath. On the first day of the week, they would be preparing for the week. They would set aside as they looked at their finances and and then give when Paul came. And so he tells them to set that aside so there won't be a collection when he arrives. And then he's going to take that gift to Jerusalem. So last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 8 where Paul challenges the Corinthians to engage in this and complete what they'd committed over a year ago towards this need. He challenges them with the fact that the Macedonians and the Galatians had joined in the act of giving and they were, they were giving even though they were not able to give that much. 
Now Paul said in that text that I am not commanding this. He's saying that it's a voluntary action that responds to the grace of God. And as Christ gave of himself, so we should give to each other. And he reminds them that they committed themselves to this and he wants them to keep their word. Um, And so he will quote Exodus 16, uh, 17, and 18 where they uh, received the manna. And depending on how they gathered, those that gathered much and those who gathered little, yet there was enough for everybody. And that principle is what he's talking about. So this week we're going to take chapter 9, and I said last week I could have probably put those two chapters together, but um, there were some things I wanted to say that I was worried would take a little more time than I wanted to do last week. So if you'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, we're still in this theme of Paul talking about the ministry to the saints in Jerusalem, the care of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He says, it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the Macedonians. Namely, that Achaia, that's the Corinthian area, has been prepared since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case. So that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go ahead uh, to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, this is a fascinating uh, Uh, picture because it shows the willingness, the readiness, the anxiousness of somebody at the beginning of a project. We're going to do this and everybody goes, yeah, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. We're going to, we're going to get so much that it'll really help the need in Jerusalem. And then time goes on and they're supposed to be setting it aside. They're supposed to be doing that, but life gets in the way. Paul's boasting about them, what a great job they're doing in this. And then he begins to think about human nature. You start setting money aside and that, that's building up. And then you say, well, God prospered me and I did that, but I'm not as prosperous now. And maybe I could use some of that money myself. And you begin to rethink that. And Paul says, I thought we'd remind you and that we'd get back on track here lest you begin to covet that money or you slide in it. And then when we come to collect it, it's not there or it's not what it was promised to be. And the Macedonians who are responding beyond their ability because they don't have much, you guys are doing much better and I don't want them uh, to uh, be there and my boasting to be embarrassed I'm embarrassed that I boasted on you and it turned out not to be true. And uh, you also will be embarrassed because we boasted on you and now it turned out not to be true. Now that's human nature. We're all that way. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And what happens is over time, we kind of lose it. I believe that that's one of the reasons why God kept telling Israel 
to wear the tzitzit, to remind them of the commandments. Uh, there is the period of Elul as they prepare toward Yom Kippur. Uh, we use Lent for the same thing, this kind of reminding ourselves to get back on track. Uh, because it's really easy for life to begin to pull you away from uh, what you're doing. And so he says, I'm not writing this because you don't know, but I'm writing this because things get in the way of that kind of notion. And so, uh, in that context, he, uh, he is encouraging them uh, to do something that's voluntary. Remember, he says, that you aren't required to do this. And you are required to take care of the poor around you. You are required to take care of your own widows. You are required to do that. You're not necessarily required to take care of these, although you brought that up because you thought it was a burden that you had as Gentiles towards the Jews. But now that you've made that commitment, make sure that you're doing that. Uh, There's a passage that comes to mind in this context that I think we should look at. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Now remember, these Gentile churches would have uh, begun to read the Torah scrolls and uh, learn the text and learn the obedience uh, in that context. And in Deuteronomy chapter 15, there is a a sabbatical year notion uh, that is talking about uh, this idea of giving to the poor. And I want to pick it up at verse 4 and read it to verse 11. Moses is talking, he says, However, there will be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as He promised you and and you will lend to many nations. And you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations. But they will not rule over you. If there is a poor man with you. One of your brothers. In any of the towns in your land. Which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart. Nor close your hand. From your poor brother. And you will freely open your hand to him. And shall generously lend him sufficient. For his need and whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, The seventh year, or the year of remission, is near, and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing, that he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings." For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in the land. That's a fascinating verse. Because it begins with, There won't be any poor among you. And it ends with, The poor will always be among you. Okay, Moses, maybe you've just been talking too long, right? No. The poor will always be with us. But he says, but among you, there won't be any poor. Because your fellow Jew that is in need, you're going to help him. You're going to lend to him. You're going to 
take care of him if he has needs. And in that, there won't be any poor among you. Right? And that's really what they were doing in the book of Acts chapter 4 and 5. They saw the need to do that among their immediate um, uh, dwelling. And the dynamic was, if you don't, there will be a reaction. Your brother will say, can you help me? And you'll harden your heart to him. And he'll cry out to the Lord. And you will be known to the Lord as disobeying. These dynamics are fascinating because we're going to see the opposite dynamic in the text that Paul's talking about. So he says, the heart can be hardened against others and swayed by covetousness. Uh, Thinking what we have is for us alone and not for others is part of that problem. But there's an aspect of this that's voluntary and that's when and to whom you give. The priority of the obligation is your own family. Uh, your fellow believers that are near you, the stranger who is near you, the poor of Israel, and then the church beyond, and ultimately to all men. Let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So, and again, Paul says, this is not based on what you can't do, it's based on what you can do. That's why there's an evaluation of to what extent can I help at this point in time. So, having said that then, we go back to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. At verse 6. So, in the context of when you do this, God will bless you. Really important to understand. The Bible doesn't say that God will bless us for giving our tithe in the congregational context. Because that tithe is a statement that God has already blessed you. He's already given. And when you give the tithe, you are testifying that God has met your needs. And, it, and that's what that testimony is. But with the tzedakah, with the giving to the poor, with the care of others, the Bible says that God will bless you when you do that. Now that blessing, uh, Jesus points out to Peter, is... Partly in this life, but in the kingdom to come. This is why we can lay up treasures uh, in heaven in that context. So now Paul's talking about how this voluntary care of those even beyond those obligations uh, is a thing that God will bless. And so he says these words. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, And so what he's saying here is that God in his grace uh, is going to meet your needs and even beyond that, but he's looking for a cheerful giver. So he loves the cheerful giver because this imitates who God is because God uh, gives to the sinner and to the righteous man the rain from heaven. He, he's generous in giving to all, especially to his beloved chosen people. So each person is to make their own commitment about to what extent they're going to do this and that is going beyond the 
the obligations of caring for people to even doing more. Um, and it shouldn't be based on outside pressure. It's a personal matter, but the principle is clear that the one who sows little will gain little, and the one who sows liberally will reap in abundance. He's talking about the blessing of God. Now, that understanding then fits what Paul's about to say in the next two verses. So then he says, in verses 8 and 9, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattereth abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now, Paul's quoting a verse there. He's assuming people know the whole psalm. We're going to get to that psalm in a minute. But I want you to see what he's saying in verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. God is giving you, whatever God is giving you, He's giving you more than you need, so that you can share, so that you can help. And in that, He says, He's meeting your needs, and, and beyond that, so that you can uh, be good at doing this good deed of helping others. And then he gives us this one verse out of entire psalm. And that psalm is Psalm 112. So I'd like you to look at that with me. We're going to read the whole psalm because I believe that what Paul is doing is he is uh, just quoting a part of the psalm because he knows that they would know the whole psalm. If I quoted part of Psalm 23, you would have the whole context coming in into your mind. So he says, Praise the Lord, how blessed, remember it's about blessing, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. That's that supplying of God. And His righteousness endures forever. Not the Lord's righteousness. The man's good deeds will endure forever. Light arises in darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. He will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord, not in his own uh, abilities and his own resources. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted. That's the verse that Paul is quoting. He's scattered. He's given freely to the poor. He's gone beyond what the commandments say. Uh, the wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away because the desire of the wicked will perish. That one who is hoarding. Uh, so Paul's giving a clear understanding that this is a righteous man who is content not only to follow the commandments of God, but in the principles of God's character to go beyond that. 
So we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, uh, verses 10 to 15 now. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. When you begin to do this, God blesses it and you have an ability to do it beyond there. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now he's talking about this giving that they're going to give to the Jews in Jerusalem. And he says, God is going to bless you in the doing of this so that you can do more, but it's going to produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ, for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And they also, by prayer on your behalf, will yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable or indescribable gift. Now, Paul's telling them about these dynamics. Remember the dynamics. You're not doing what God tells in the commandments, and that man will cry out to God, and it will be a sin to you. Okay? Then he says, if you do it, you will be blessed, as the Psalms have said. Now he gives them, I think, four dynamics that are part of this giving over and beyond in that context. One, Paul says, it will meet the needs of those who are in need. This gift is actually going to help the poor who are in Jerusalem. Those poor who are helped are going to give thanks to God because their needs have been met by His provision through you. And they will glorify, this the third one, they will glorify God for your obedience, which demonstrates that your confession of faith in the God of Israel and in the Messiah of Israel will help these Jews to see that God has brought His grace to the Gentiles while not abandoning them. What an incredible testimony. I've always believed that... I mean, we, we always hear the... Uh, those who bless Israel, I will bless. Those who curse Israel, I will curse. We all know that. In this context, Paul is saying that the proof of the genuineness of our confession in the God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel is seen in the way we treat our fellow Jewish believer in Jesus. And it will be a sign, I think, not only to the world, but particularly to Israel in that context. And then he says, and they will in turn pray for you and be concerned for your welfare in bringing about unity to the body and the proof of the sign of discipleship, which is love for one another. In the last week's text, he said, right now, you're able to help them. The day may come when they're able to help you. This giving to one another 
is one of these things where uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's much easier to be on the giving end than on the receiving end. Anyone who's struggled with that knows that. On the other hand, there are times then when things turn around. This happens with our gifting. It happens with our resources where people are able to do back for others uh, who have done for them in the past. And so, four things. It meets the needs of those saints. They give thanks to God. They glorify God because they see that your profession of faith in their God is true. And they will pray for you and be helpful to you in turn. That's the dynamics of giving. So the dynamics of not giving, particularly when we're commanded, is that they, the one who is hurt will cry out to God and that will be not good for us. But if we go beyond that as the righteous man of Psalm 112 is, then there, these dynamics will multiply in the opposite direction as well. So, at the end then, Paul breaks into a statement of thanksgiving to God, uh, which he does in Romans. He, you know, He tells the whole story of how God is bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together. He's concluded us all under sin so that He might save us all. And then he goes into kind of a doxology. He does the same thing here when he just can't... Uh, contain himself. I think all of a sudden he gets the insight of what he's writing and what he's saying and he realizes that this brings a dynamic of the glory of God throughout the entire body and so he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable or unspeakable gift. King James uses unspeakable gift as we use when, when the gospel is presented. Certainly God's unspeakable gift is his son, but it's all the blessing of God that he gives is beyond what we can ask or think in many ways. So, we are required uh, to give to the needs of our family and the poor within our own uh, congregation and our gates. We're encouraged to go beyond that, both in the recognition of our indebtedness to Israel and our fellow believers in Jesus who are uh, of Israel, but to all the poor as we have opportunity. And uh, I know that this congregation is very good at doing that. Uh, we have limited the organized congregational form to try to encourage the private form. And then occasionally talked about the, um, the congregational form. We're going to move back more into being aware of both of those. Uh, because I don't think you will stop doing one as we as we bring about the other one. And many of you already give into the benevolence uh, part of the offering so that we can make use of that. What we want to do is uh, function more effectively in matching those funds uh, when you're doing some of your private work and be able to do that. Uh, that's, that's usually what the deacon's uh, ministry is about, and we, we need to uh, move forward in, in that in that direction. So, uh, Paul's now going to leave this subject. Um, in fact, this subject is started and left so abruptly that some Bible commentators think that chapter 8 and chapter 9 are a separate letter that somehow got sewn in here. I don't think that's true, but, the, but it's such an abrupt change. And Paul's going to end up talking again about his place as an apostle to the Corinthian church. And he's going to talk about some things that are kind of interesting 
including uh, he, the, some of the problems that are happening to him and why they're happening to him. But we will deal with that later. Um, I'm out of time, so let's go to the Lord in prayer.